DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Peter Castelli joins us now. Quarterback at Mission Viejo High School. He's uh, given a verbal commitment to play for the Utes. Peter, good morning. Morning. So, committing to the University of Utah, I think we're all curious. You had offers from Oregon and LSU and Nebraska, and I've read about 19 offers in all. Uh, why the Utes? Um, I mean, one of the main reasons was that, you know, they've just been with me from the very beginning, and that means a lot to me, just knowing that ever since I was at them, you know, they kind of believed in me and, like, recruited me for that long. Um, I also love how, you know, all the coaches, they just treat you like family, you know. It's, you're all, like, very close to each other. And also just the feel of the campus, you know, it's somewhere I feel like I could be for the next four years. All right. So, uh I heard you made a couple of trips up to the University of Utah. What did you see on campus? I heard you were at the Arizona State game. What, what kind of impression did that make? Uh, that, game, that game, it was interesting because it was like freezing cold and raining, but it was great because, you know, the fans were still packed. It was still a full house. I thought that was really awesome to see. People still tailgating. I thought that was really cool to see. So how long have you followed the Utes closely? When did they get on your radar? Uh, I started getting on my uh, radar like uh, during when I was my sophomore year, and they started recruiting me first, and then they offered me after my sophomore year, and that's kind of when it started to really start like going forward. And then I was able to take two visits up there. One for it was like for um, a, sorry, a camp, and then the other one was for the Arizona State game. So you, uh, we've had your uh, high school coach on, uh, Chad Johnson, mm-hmm. and he's he cool. actually yeah, and he actually told us a story, and so I'm kind of curious your perspective on this. That when before he took the Mission Viejo job, when he was the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator at St. John Bosco, they had a uh, camp there basically for junior high kids, and he said there was a wide range of abilities. There were kids who could play. There were maybe it was glorified babysitting for some for some families <laughs> that dropped their kids there. It was a wide range. What do you remember about your your first meeting with him, and is that where you really started to get locked into quarterback play, or did something happen before then? Um, I mean, I kind of always been, you know, a quarterback, but like just being at that camp, you know, it's just a fun. It was like it's kind of a thing. Like, oh my god, like I can, you know, play bigger time football. Like this would be more. It'd be interesting, you know, looking to Bosco and you know, I hit it off with the coaches, and I'm like, awesome. Like, let's do this, you know. So as you uh, as you progress through here, uh, he also told us a story about how they found out how fast you were uh, at those mm-hmm. camps. Uh, so you started running track. How much of a uh, passion did that become for you? Um, it, it was fun. I did it more for like a fun thing, just to get faster for uh, football than like you know a true like passion. But like it was just a lot of fun, you know, to have like teammates too and running the four by one and doing the one hundred against others. It was just like a fun event. Also I got like faster too with it, so it really helped. So you make your commitment in your junior year. Was that something that you wanted to do or did it just come about naturally? You felt like now's the time, this I might as well do it because this is what I want to do. No, I definitely wanted to do it my junior year. I wanted to just, you know, commit early so I didn't have to really worry about it my senior year and just focus on my season but like I guess like a lot of people were like well why did you commit like earlier than you thought well it was kind of because like this whole like coronavirus thing kind of like had had a lot of time for me and my parents kind of talk and sit down and just like think about things 
and basically just, you know, Utah just checked off all the boxes. So when we were talking, like, you know, it just feels like the right thing to do to just commit now. So I heard that you, uh, you're, process got interrupted a little bit by the coronavirus because you did get to visit some schools and you came to Utah, but there were other schools are pursuing you that you didn't get to take your official trips to. Mm-hmm. Was, that a, was that a factor when you decided, well, no one's going to be traveling for a while? Did that speed things up? Uh, I mean, kind of, you know, it's just, you know, I wanted to, like, when I said, like, Utah checks off all the boxes and we had all these other plans up, well, me and my parents were kind of talking, you know, like, now that we're not going on those plans, like, what's really the point of going on those trips? Like, what else are you really looking for that's not at Utah? And so I was like, well, I guess nothing really. So that's when I kind of just figured it out. And also talking with Coach Johnson, he's like, he said a lot of words to me also that really helped out in making my decision. What, what were those words? What are you talking about? Basically, you know, just like they have everything there for you. Like, you know, you're always going to have a solid line. You're always going to have a good defense to back you up. You're going to have just, like, good people around you, you know. They've always, like, needed a quarterback, and you can be that guy. And just other things, too, like, it's just a perfect fit for you. And, yeah, a lot of those. We've heard a lot of good things about you, but obviously you can't be a a finished product after your junior year in high school. What do you think you need to Mm -hmm. work on to improve? Definitely, I want to be as good in the mental game as possible just to, help my team get in the best situation they can against any defense we go up against to, you know, get the best play possible. So what was the response of the coaches uh, when you told them, did you tell Freddie first and then Kyle, or how'd that work? I told uh, Kyle first, and he was he was fired up. They're all fired up. It was, it was great to hear. I was so excited. I called uh, Kyle, Freddie, and then I called uh, Coach Ludwig. And they were all really excited, so that made me happy. So, uh, how much did you get to interact with uh, the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig? I got to interact with him a lot. Uh, when, when I went down for there, my visit one time, we were able to sit down. He was able to go over the offense. It was just really cool to listen because, you know, he, he uh, puts together his playbook based on the players that he has, you know, so he fits the playbook to his players. And I just thought that was, one, that was a really big like, reason why I liked it so much. I just thought it was a really cool thing. When did you first get interested in Utah? Um, I guess when I uh, went down there for a visit, you know, because I didn't really know a lot about Utah, but once I went down for a visit, it just like, it was just kind of like an eye-opener, like, wow, this is awesome, you know, just getting to know the coaches, getting to know the area, the college, and I just thought it was really cool. So uh, I grew up in California, and PK worked in California for about a decade. Actually, not just a little bit north of where you are, not very far at all, mm-hmm. uh, at all up in the uh, San Pedro area there, and well, up and down the coastline. Actually, a little bit covering high school sports, and so we know that there are people in California who have been to Utah, vacation, national parks, ski trips extended family, whatever. And then there are people for whom it is just completely foreign. Now, I heard your dad travels a lot for work. Explain to people what your, uh, what your dad does, and, uh, and then if that helped play an impact, because he must have been to Utah multiple times. Um, I mean, yeah, so my dad is a location manager, so basically he works in, like, film industries and stuff, so for, like, movies and stuff, they'll say, hey, we need a location that's, like, looks like this or so so in this place and he basically goes out and looks for those spots and uh yeah i think he's been there you know salt lake city a couple of times before i went but 
it's basically just like you know a cool area like it's a cool area to be at like total college town which is a cool place What's the response of family, friends, teammates, whatever? Because Utah hasn't been at the forefront, but yet it's an emerging program. Mm-hmm. I know my my teammates have been super, you know, supportive of me. Everyone like congratulating me, and it's just like you know, hopefully people realize like you know Utah is an awesome place to be and an awesome place to play football too. It's a great opportunity. There are uh, there are a lot of Utah fans who are waiting for that first win at USC. Uh, <laughs> see, you're laughing. You know about that. <laughs> Kinda. So, uh, can you explain to people the pull of USC and UCLA down there? And I heard you didn't get offers. And we have talked to other players who've come up the, up here and in the same mm-hmm. situation because obviously they only have 25 scholarships and there's a gazillion players. They can't offer them all down mm-hmm. there. Uh, but we found that that's been a motivating factor for a lot of the Southern California players who come to Utah. Is it for you? You're asking like why why I'm not interested in them? No, no. I'm asking is it a motivating factor for you, the chance to come back to LA to beat the teams that didn't recruit you in front of friends and family. We have found a lot of players get very motivated by that, and I wonder if that kind of resonates with you too. Um I don't know if it's a big resonating thing. You know, of course like I'm gonna be super competitive and wanna, you know, go against those guys, but like it's not like a driving force, but I definitely wanna, you know, beat them all. <laughs> Chad Johnson is your coach now, so obviously you work with him. Before him, no relation was Bob Johnson, who has been a quarterback guru down in your area for many, many years. Have you worked with him? I have not. Who else, uh, other quarterback coaches, have you worked with? I've worked with uh, Steve Calhoun with Army Makers Football. I've worked with uh, Chris Ricks with Champion, Champion Football. Yeah, mainly those two. What kind of stuff do they uh, work with you? Is it mostly, you know, throwing motion, fundamentals, mechanics and all that, or do they get into the mental side of the game you were talking about and looking at film and defenses and and how to handle them? Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of it's just mechanics and stuff, just, you know, getting formed down, you know, drills, you know, working with pressure, footwork, release. A lot of that's them. And then Coach Johnson's the big one, which is helping me with the mental game. So when you made your commitment, you put on percent committed, and you listed to some of the coaches. I know you had Freddie's name on there. Uh, this is a different time with the virus, and kids can't take visits and whatnot. But I see a lot of these kids uh, put out there, you know, they're committed to school, fill in the blank, but yet they still take phone calls and maybe when if the situation would allow it they would take visits to other places even though they've made the commitment how do you intend to handle that going forward um i mean i'm i'm committed to utah so i'm not really looking at any other schools like i'm i'm in this for the long haul so in the recruiting process, did you settle on Utah a little faster than your parents? Did they settle on it before you? Did one of you have to convince the other? Or did everybody figure it out at the same time? Everyone pretty much figured it out. And my parents have been awesome. They're, they're not really trying to persuade me on one school or the other. They're letting like me decide. And then, you know, if I ask how they feel, they'll, you know, they'll say how they feel. But it was kind of like, you know, a mutual thing where we both felt the same thing about Utah, which was pretty nice. So what do you think you need to improve on 
beyond everything, obviously, by the time you get done with your senior year and get ready to come to Salt Lake? Um, well, I said the mental game before, and, you know, it's going to help okay. a lot. And also there's probably maybe, you know, just consistent consistency with, you know, just throwing good balls and just, you know, trying to have as many completions as possible. Has, has Fred Winningham or any of the other coaches uh, talked to you about any other guys they might be recruiting in Southern California that you might have relationships with, and have you uh, work on getting them to Utah as well? <laughs> uh, not yet, but they said they're definitely going to have me, you know, talk to some guys and hoping, you know, to get them into Utah, and I'm more than happy to. You know, I'm excited. Some kids uh, come up at uh, January of their senior year and start college then. Do you anticipate that, or would it be the yeah. following summer after graduation? No, I'm planning on graduating early and starting in January. Okay. So the track, okay. career's, the track career's all over, huh? We heard you might be getting down to like a 10-6. You're never going to get a chance to do that? Yeah, I know. Sadly, it's probably how it's going to be. Yep. All right, well, Peter, we appreciate a few minutes. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to uh, seeing you up on the Hill one day. Of course. Thank you for having me. Peter Costelli, Utah quarterback commit, plays at Mission Viejo High School. Wrapped up his uh, junior year, and we had his coach on, uh, Chad Johnson. He ran a 10-8-2 as a sophomore with no track experience, not really knowing what he was doing. And he trained really hard and was hoping to get down into the 10-6 territory this year, which we are getting into some pretty fast territory here, PK. Those are some pretty small numbers. Uh, and I don't know what he would have been able to pull off as a senior, you know, given another year. But uh, coming early, getting ready for spring football and ready to go. If you, if you do the math on quarterbacks, you know, and who knows the way quarterbacks transfer now, what the quarterback roster might look like in a year both with guys coming in and guys going out, right? But it, it seems like you could assume that he would have a great chance to come up and compete for the backup quarterback spot because Bentley would be gone. He'd be out of eligibility. And uh, Cam Rising, with another year in the system, presumably would be the starter. But I think everybody knows you, you always want to win the battle between one and two, but it's also really important to win the battle between two and three because if you're two, you get more snaps. And if there's an injury, and we know statistically over half the quarterbacks end up getting hurt, there's a chance to play as a freshman. So you can see, uh, you can kind of see how things might line up for him based on, you know, there's still a lot of wiggle room, but why he's thinking the way he's thinking. Uh, yes, if I'm a Ute fan, I don't want him to play as a freshman. Uh, and I'd rather have – you can do the math, and I don't know if Bentley's going to win the job this season, but just assume for argument's sake that he does. And so then rising, uh, it, you're going to try to get him some playing time because the idea is to have a program, not to have a season. So get him some playing time. And then he – you could see it if you follow the lineage, as Norm Chow said – yesterday that you would have rising be a two-year starter and then if uh, this kid here comes up red shirts or with the red shirt and the cool thing about the red shirt is that you could still play games yeah. and obviously you can play four games and that that's great news particularly for quarterback I yep. think that's great news yep. any rule that helps the player I'm all for because you know, they certainly have enough situations that are helping the administrators and the coaches and all that stuff. So any rule that can help the player, I support 100%. And so get 
you can get Rising in. He'll, he'll Rising will play next year. I don't know if he's the starter, but he's going to get some opportunity to play, and not just exclusively garbage time, because you got to get him ready too. Because if he doesn't win the starting job, you know, then you're looking at two, three years from his last game he would have started in high school, and that's a long time. So you get him go, then you bring in this kid, and so the following year in. Uh, 2021 he if he redshirts he could still play and then he can actually have four years or if he plays beyond that he could still have three years and if you get three years out of a starting quarterback i think that's absolutely awesome that if i if i'm a kid or his parent and you're telling me hey i can go to a pac-12 school and start for three years what more do you really want i mean be the full-time starter for three years i think that that's having your cake and eat it too as far as i'm concerned and it's probably best for the team that he's not the full-time starter as a freshman uh and we'll see how that plays out but you know that's one that's what i'm writing about uh, this week and i'll have that posted tomorrow is you just don't know man you really don't know if this kid's going to make you don't know if he's going to keep his commitment he sounds like he's going to so i'm going to take him at his word but you you're going to recruit a quarterback next year and you know you always want you're most likely recruiting a quarterback every year so who knows who's out there for the following recruiting cycle so you can't say and who knows if he's going to be good enough because if you look at it right now the Utes are banking on either Bentley or Rising right now both those kids as you said yesterday multiple times they're both four stars and they were four stars anyway and that's that those are facts if you believe in that stuff and it's funny because he called Norm Chow called it nonsense I've spoken to many coaches about it and they don't get caught up in that but nevertheless we all do uh, and Bentley and Rising well both of those guys are at Utah because they weren't starting at the other place Right. Yep. So they got even though Bentley started, he then last year had the injury and then they went with Holinsky uh, as a freshman. And then he decides to come west. And that doesn't mean he's not good and he can't have a great season. That's not a dead at all. But if they had maintained their well, if he had maintained it and not gotten injured and then rising never really had an opportunity, he did not win the job. But if he had won it at Texas, and we saw the Texas quarterback, uh, Ellinger, last year, how good he did in the bowl game. Uh, you know, though he would still be there. So that just, to me, I don't want to say it raises a red flag, but it causes me to raise an eyebrow just a little bit. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not good. You can't say that Max Hall left ASU and went to uh, BYU and was sensational. So I mean, he was the winningest yeah. quarterback that they had. So you don't know. At the highest level of college football this year, we saw multiple quarterback transfers play great and lead their teams yeah. to outstanding seasons. I still think if you do the, sure. if you math on it, I'm with you on raise the eyebrow a little bit. I think if you do the math on it, more of the transfers bust than hit. But I think the number of transfers who hit is going up. I think it's better than it was 10 years ago. So uh, maybe even better than it was five years ago. So I think that the opportunities are there. I think the thing with the star thing that stinks and why Norm should be critical of it and the part I buy into is that uh, the evaluation of those star things, I think if you follow it real close and Yach follows it closer and both of us put together so you can back me up on this, but I think he will, um, is that guys' star rankings change sometimes based on which school recruits them. 
So, okay, you're not predicting, you're just reacting. After I know Alabama has offered a kid, I already know he's good. So if you move him from a three-star to a four-star at that point, your rankings, this is just hype. And I think that's the kind of stuff where Norm and other coaches kind of roll their eyes. But we've also had coaches tell us that those stars are getting more accurate. And the thing I think about... Um, not only having a bunch of four-star quarterbacks, but what you said about getting a bunch of four-star kids out of California, especially Southern California, but I don't consider Fresno Southern California, and they got Jalen Johnson out of there. So no. when, when you get an impact guy like that, you got to be pumped. There will I will always believe in, especially while Kyle is there, and probably if it's the Kyle coaching tree who succeeds Kyle, probably on down the road, I'll always buy into their ability to to bring in two-star no-name guys or three-star no-name guys and turn them into NFL guys. But I think we've also seen enough of this to think if you're going to try and do that 85 times and try to win the Pac-12 without four- and five-star guys, well, good luck with that. You haven't been able to do it in a decade. So I think... If they're going to get where everybody wants them to go, from the administration and the coaches to the players, the media, the fans, the season ticket holders, they're going to have to have more four-star guys on the roster. I still think some of those guys will transfer. I still think some of those guys will bust. But you're going to need more of those guys. And you're probably still going to have to fill in the roster with the unheralded guy who has two or three stars, you know, uh, you always bring up uh, Trevor Riley, right? I mean, that is it's just a great story. And that guy can always exist. Uh, Weddle, you know, has had a great NFL career. He's retired now, but he was undersized in high school, and a lot of schools overlooked him because of that. They'll always find those guys, but I think if they're going to win the Pac-12, if they're going to go to a Rose Bowl or playoff, they're just going to have to have four- and five-star guys on the roster. And some of them will still bust. They will. But they're going to have to land more of those guys. And it seems like that's where they're trending. Well, I want to say, and I would add Cody Barton to that list of yes, unheralded good guys example. who came up and, and end up being a massive player for them. Cody Barton's story is just an awesome story also. Uh, the, the star system, I really believe in it in basketball. I think that that from high school to college, that translates a lot more accurately. Now with football, a kid like Jalen Johnson came in as advertised. I believe that that works for a kid like him at quarterback. And the the defensive end for Oregon uh, was named Thibodeau and just – just so wreaks havoc on everybody. Those guys normally end up matching the hype. It's just the quarterback position. It gets dicey as far as the star system and are they that good? Because when they get in college, it's something that they've never faced before. Yeah, it's such an important position, and it's also so dependent on the teammates around you. So some guys excel because their high school teams are stacked. Some guys uh, excel in the seven-on-seven, but that's not real football, and you're not running for your life and getting blown up. So, So it's a little easier to throw the ball there. So there is no... Because you can only let quarterbacks get hit in games it is hard to evaluate quarterbacks. Because even in the game situation, as, uh, as Chad Johnson, the coach at Mission VAO High, said, you know, there's a game where they're completely outmatched athletically by the other team because other team recruits. There's another league game where they completely outmatch the other team. And so it's hard to get a read on quarterbacks in either of those games. You know, there's only a handful of games where it's a good matchup and you can really, you can really tell. And that's, that's why so many mistakes get made. All right, DJ and PK, we're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. 
home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Danny Tarkanian, author of Rebel with a Cause, a biography of his dad, Jerry Tarkanian, the legendary UNLV coach. He'll join us next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by Danny Tarkanian, author of Rebel with a Cause, a biography of his father, Jerry Tarkanian, the UNLV coach and Fresno State coach. Danny, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Believe it or not, I was a student at UCSB in the 80s, and I watched you play <laughs> basketball. We're getting old, Danny. What happened? Yeah, Jerry Trimble or before Jerry? Uh, well, I was there before Jerry, and then I did the games on the radio. So, actually, I asked Jerry Pym a lot of questions about your dad because your dad was in the news big time then, and Jerry had known him for a very long time. Yeah, Jerry was one of the great, greatest underrated coaches of all time. He had great teams at Utah. In fact, uh, in the book, I talked about how um, uh, the first Final Four team we had, we had a real close game against uh, Pim's uh, team at Utah, and there was one call that made the difference. And you know, if it goes against us, Utah's in the final four, not UNLV. I want to know, Danny, all the stuff that's going on in college basketball today. What would your father think, and what would he say? He'd say, "Well, I've been saying this for a long time, and uh, everybody <laughs> used to complain that I was just um, uh, a cheater and uh, and." Um, crying sour grapes when uh, what he was actually saying at that time is how college basketball has been operated and ran for decades now. So how do you think that your dad got singled out as a bad guy in an era? Because I think college fans are now more savvy to the fact that, you know, you're if you're in the top 20, 30, 40 schools, somewhere somewhere in that number, there, there's a lot of stuff going on that nobody wants to make public, and the FBI just made some of it public. Um, was it, well, was it that know, widespread in your dad's era, or was it a fewer, te- fewer teams? Sure, and it was a little bit different. I discussed this in the book. You know, in the early um, infancy of basketball, you had the boosters that were paying some of them. Now, there's only, there's only a, a dozen or so, maybe two dozen schools that would, this was happening to, but you'd have boosters that would pay large sums of money to get players to come there and then give them large sums while they were there. But you got to, and I distinguish this in the book, there's a big difference, and my dad made this point, I think this is what infuriated the NCAA so much, was there's a big difference between buying a player and getting them to come to school and giving them large sums of money, which my father said was completely wrong and every coach should be fired if they did so. And, or the other ones where you're violating the ridiculous rules the NC Tway had that treated the um, 
kids that were dominating in collegiate sports at that time, poor inner city African-American kids, uh, they were discriminating against those kids because they didn't have any discretionary income. If these kids came from poor backgrounds or families didn't have money that could give, give them when they got to college. And the NCAA rules uh, made them live as uh, in poverty or uh, at a much lower level than the uh, fellow college students. My dad kept saying that was wrong. And in the book, I gave some examples. We recruited a kid out of New York named Richie Adams. He was from Fort Apache in the Bronx, one of the worst neighborhoods in the entire country. He lived with his grandmother because he didn't have any parents. And when he signed with us, how did he get to college? How does he get to Las Vegas without breaking any rules? His family doesn't have any money. Well, of course, uh, somebody from UNLV had to arrange for him to get money to fly out there. And every school in the country that recruits these kids are doing the same thing because the kids just don't have the money to get out there. Then once they get out to school, how do those kids, uh, you know, they got to put a deposit on an apartment. They don't have that money. Maybe they got to get furniture for the apartment. They don't have that money. Well, if they want to go on a date, they don't have any money to go on the date. The scholarship check was just a cost of tuition and the room and board and, and even the cafeteria. So my dad was an outspoken critic against uh, these rules and the way they treated the players, and the NC Tway didn't like that. My dad did back down, and it went on for 31 years, his entire coaching career. So do you think, in a sense, your father was just ahead of his time? Well, there's no doubt about it, and I don't know if it's so much ahead of his time because all the coaches that were involved uh, coaching at that time knew what was going on. My father was more outspoken and to the day he died he said the biggest mistake he made was being outspoken against the nc toy uh and he felt it it really destroyed his career it certainly ended it prematurely and and minimized it um i mean he didn't get in the hall of fame until he was 83 years old when he had one of the greatest records of all time and certainly the greatest at a non-major college um so he just was outspoken and maybe uh he shouldn't have been, but he did it because he believed in it, and I was very proud of what he did. So your dad was a great interview. He was not a good interview. He was a great interview, and I had multiple <laughs> experiences with that, and yeah. he said hilarious stuff, and I'm wondering which line you remember more fondly. Uh, I love Pac-10 transfers because their cars are already paid for. That, that was, he loved that. He got that one when we, a great Gorgian transferred from Arizona State and came to UNLV. He was driving a white Fiat convertible. <laughs> paid for by Arizona State. Or the NCA is so mad at Kentucky that they put Western Kentucky on probation. Yeah. You know, that's my favorite. It's one that's been uh, out there the most. Uh, he, my father has a really, he was really quick with and had some great lines. I put those in the book, not only the ones that he had, but also ones that other fellow coaches had that were really. Um, funny yet during the time Jim Balvano was one of the funniest coaches ever and I got a bunch of his one-liners in there Abe Lemons who used to coach at uh, Oklahoma City and then uh, Texas funny guy and they used to that was how coaching was back then it was a fraternity and the coaches would hang out together they'd tell these stories they'd crack people up and and I try to put that in the book so the readers would really appreciate and enjoy it much more do you think the NCAA has eased up on trying to be so meticulous on infractions? Are they just ignoring it or what? Well, what they did was, and my dad argued for this when he was coaching, he said the scholarship, he did not think you should pay players to come to, to play basketball at the school, but he did think the kids should get enough money to live as fellow uh, students do that are on campus. So the NCAA, ironically, um, this was what, 20 five years after my father uh, left UNLV. The NC2A uh, passed legislation that now allows schools to pay um, 
kids enough money so they can live as a fellow students of exactly what my father said. And with that now, there should be less cheating that needs to go on. There still are rules that they need to change. Like you should be able to allow um, the school to pay for the kid to come out to school and then even to go home maybe once or twice a year to visit his family. There are more rules that need to be changed, but because uh, of the scrutiny that's gone on uh, from the national media now, the institute is slowly but surely making these, these changes. You know, back in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, the NCAA really had a, um, a lock on the media. Uh, the media believed everything the NCAA said and, and never really criticized them. Now the media is criticizing them and it's exposing some of the real problems out there. Danny Tarkanian joining us, author of Rebel with a Cause, a biography of his dad, Jerry Tarkanian. Um, would your dad be surprised at how uh, massive the cheating has gotten now? Because we have heard stories, and I mean, we can't go into who's telling them on the air, but PK and I both believe them, uh, stories of elite players who can charge for home visits. Because it means so much to a, for a home visit. If you want a home visit, <laughs> you want to come to my house and you'll use that to recruit oh, other kids, you're going to pay X number. And it's a good number. It yeah, is you know, a I, good number. I don't, I don't believe that was going on when my father coached. I think what happens is the rewards of success is so great now. I mean, you get, look at the salaries these coaches are making um, and how much money the schools are making uh, because there's so much at risk uh, or the rewards are being so great. The cheating is getting worse, and I'm sure it would stagger anybody, including my father. One of the things that I thought that as I reflected back and looking about what he had going on at UNLV, he was known as, you know, a run-and-gun guy, just high-flying dunks and all that stuff, and it was very entertaining basketball. But then you read the foreword from uh, Shusevsky, and he says Jerry Tarkanian was a phenomenal defensive coach. Do you find that sort of funny that his legacy isn't really like that, even though his peers considered him to be a phenomenal defensive coach? You know, that's really a great question. Thank you for bringing it up, because it's one of the reasons I wrote the book is there's so many misnomers about my father uh, and his career. Uh, when my father first started coaching, he was his own coach, and in this, he took over Long Beach State program that was Division Two. and in his third year, they almost beat UCLA in the regional finals. They lost by two in the closest game UCLA had in the seven-year national championship run. After the game, John Wooden said uh, Tarkanian was the greatest zone coach he'd ever played against. And then Coach K, after we beat him by 30 in the national championship game, made the same comments, but this time about his man defense. He said Coach Tarkin is one of the greatest uh, man uh, defensive coaches ever. And in the forward, he said the same thing. My father always had success because of his defense, and he always emphasized defense. Anybody who came and watched us practice, it was a three-hour practice, Two hours would be full defense, only defense, and then the last hour would do defense to offense. But we really worked on it, and we worked on the real fine techniques of it. And I, I tried to put that in the book, too. I explained, you know, what we went through and how he taught it because it was very, very unique. Uh, nobody concentrated on the small things of defensively that, that uh, my dad did. In fact, Billy Donovan came to Fresno State to ask us how we taught defense so well and we went through all these things and he said well there's no way we can coach that there's just too much to it and it really was because of some of the stories uh, Jerry Pym had and the personal relationship he had with Jerry Tarkanian I always had a soft spot for Tark I found him entertaining and I found him uh, fun 
Uh, but we also have ties to some of the programs your dad has been at and from people who were there after him. And I'm curious, and, and I'm 100% with you on the NCAA hypocrisy and some schools got penalized and your dad got treated more harshly. But do you think if everything your dad did came to light, uh, do you think he'd have no regrets, some regrets, a lot of regrets? Where, where do you think that would fall? Well, I think my father did what he felt was necessary to um, allow the kids that were participating and at his, at his in his program and at his school to live a, a life like uh, other college kids are doing, and they certainly were were numerous violations. And he had to go through his entire coaching career denying those things were happening. Uh, um, my dad hated hypocrisy. He hated phony, so I know that really bothered him. Uh, in fact, whenever you, you spoke with him a little bit uh, and he was honest about it, he'd make his comments. Another one of his funny liners was that um, uh, uh, nine out of ten co- uh, school coaches are cheating. The tenth is in last place. And, um, <laughs> and he really believed that. I think UNLV is one of the hardest jobs in the country because of your father, because they're always referring back to him and the success that he had. Uh, does the Tarkanian family realize how difficult they made that job because of the phenomenal run that he had? Yeah, I think that's happened, too, at some other schools with John Wood and some others. But I'm going to tell you the problem UNLV had is, first, they forced my father out in a very humiliating and disgraceful manner, and it alienated a lot of the supporters of my dad's program. But worse than that, they intentionally tried to disown and lose the memory of all the great uh, things that my father and his program did. Uh, they didn't put a picture of my father up in the Thomas and Mack Center for over 15 years after he coached. Uh, they had they wanted nothing to do with the program. In fact, Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, and Greg Anthony, they all uh, changed their number once they went to the NBA. And they would, and when they had those cards where they put down what school you're from, Larry Johnson put Odessa Junior College. He wouldn't even put UNLV. It wasn't until Long Kruger came that he embraced the past, and uh, they started doing some things with my father. They built the statue and everything, and uh, that's trying to bring the program back together. And I think that gives them a better chance of success now than they had in the past. I know you got to run, but I want to leave you with this, Danny, because it's one story, uh, and you may know others about it with your dad, but it was just one interaction I had. I had just gotten my first radio job in Santa Barbara out of school. I worked at a news talk radio station there, and I had a half-hour talk show, and it just filled the time from the end of the local news and the drive time in the afternoon until we went into whatever game or talk show we were going into. So you get a guest on. I knew a Tark come to town for, you know, the, that's the biggest game of the year in Santa Barbara, and I had to get him. And so I set it up, and I was going to get a phone call with him at his, in his hotel room the night before the, uh, or the night they got in. And it was, you know, supposed to be at like 930 at night or something. And I start calling at 930, and I call every five minutes until midnight. And it <laughs> never, no answer, nothing. And I see the UCSB sports information director and they had gone out to dinner and drinks afterwards and there was like 10 or 15 of them and Tark was telling stories and they were out until one in the morning and it was hilarious and literally that's why I didn't get the interview but I was desperate I'd already promoted it so the next morning I went to the hotel and I figure I'm going to just try and catch him in a hallway this is totally embarrassing that I promoted and I'm not going to have the interview I'm literally doing the job for like I'm a month into the job and uh and I see all these players coming down for breakfast. I knew they were where they were going to go at the Biltmore. And everybody's in the UNLV gear, right? T-shirts, sweats, and all that. I see assistant coaches, no Tark. I finally go and call his room. 
And uh, and I get this answer. Uh, hello, I clearly woke him up. <laughs> I'm stammering like a 22 year old idiot. Just I, I was at David James. I, was, I thought we were going to interview, and then you did. And he's like, "Come on up to my room. Click." And he hangs up. Well, they're not going to give me his room number. I got to call him back. He gives me the room number. I go there. The door's propped open. He is propped up in bed on a pillow. This would (laughs) never, ever happen. I couldn't believe it happened then. And I give him this interview. He literally had to grab his pants and pull them off the chair and throw them to the ground. Sit there, kid. And he's got the the morning (laughs) voice. And then I click the microphone. I kid you not. His voice clears up. He's totally alert. He does a priceless 10-minute interview. He dropped the Kentucky West in Kentucky line. He said, I guarantee you Kentucky's cheating. You played this interview for me in one year. You tell me I'm wrong. The NCAA will do nothing. The next year, more respectably, I catch him out of the arena at the end of the shoot-around the, or the practice the day before, going to the bus, and I'm holding two tape recorders, and he's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? He has no memory of this interview, right? And I, So I start in on the interview, and I'm telling him, a year ago I was in your, you're at your hotel, and you told me, and his eyes lit up. All of a sudden he remembered, you're the guy I let into my hotel room. And I start to play the other one. He goes, you don't have to play it. I know what I said. And he went on this hilarious 90-second rant, uh, rant. They were two of the just so much fun to do those interviews and so enlightening it was good to have you on and uh i know you're going to stick up for the memory of your dad you know you're a son and of course you're going to do that and so good luck with the book well thank you thank you for having me on i love to hear those stories danny tarkanian author of rebel with a cause a biography of his father jerry tarkanian dj and pk we are brought to you in part by larry h miller chrysler jeep dodge raymond sandy find your deals online at lhmdeals.com final word coming up and it's all over almost here don't go nowhere dj and pk feedback is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. All right, PK. We were asking people what they missed. A lot of people are missing travel. A lot of people are missing uh, vacations. And we put up the poll question here, better water vacation. So the beach has a narrow 52-48 lead over lakes. However, Lake Powell specifically has the lead over Newport Beach by a healthy, uh, what, 40% to 27%. Yeah, because those people haven't been to Newport and been able to experience it. They just go to Powell, so they're too parochial. They don't know what they're missing. Of course they would say that. I would expect nothing less and would be surprised if anything were different. Spider Time tweets at us. Lake Powell should not even be on the same list as a beach. He's disgusted. I agree. I think under what people uh, would prefer, I think for you would be the reincarnation of Jerry Tarkanian. (laughs) Bring him back, baby. Yeah. Just get the rebound, says Lake Powell, because you can always find an empty stretch of lake with no humans in sight. Oh, my gosh. If that's the case, then can you imagine the oceans? (laughs) 
<laughs> you could find miles and miles and miles of empty beaches in this world if that's what you're looking for. Get out of my face. What a stupid comment. Find the movie Endless Summer on YouTube or Netflix, shot in the 60s in color, and these surfers are uh, driving around the coast in Africa trying to find the perfect wave, and you see miles and miles of empty beaches. Endless Summer. Look it up, people. Uh, finally, Moss says, you know what I'm missing this guy, missing guys? Betting on every game of every sport from 5 to 10 p.m., seven days a week, 365 days a year from the comfort of my couch. Gamblers, what are they doing? Nothing. Yep, hanging out. All right. Uh, last word goes to uh, Joe. Joe Nelson tweets at us, lakes, beach, what about rivers? You guys got to come float the Green River with us sometime. Ready to float some rivers? Go. I don't recommend it. Really? It's long, it's hot. <laughs> How are the rapids? Not very many. I've done the Snake, and then there's a Salt River in outside of Phoenix, east of Phoenix, that people like to do. I've, those are my two floating ones. The Snake River in Wyoming outside of uh, Jackson was a lot of fun. The Salt River? A lot of rapids on that, or no? S- uh, not really. It's more of a leisurely thing. You just you can go for a few miles and and hang out. And they have down the end. They have wild horses that are out there. It's really cool. DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. Hands and Scotty are coming up next.